It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. When my next guest contacted me, I couldn't have been more delighted to hear from her. In an email, she wrote, I wanted to reach out and see if you think I'd be a good fit for your podcast. Her name is Laura K. Joy, and she is absolutely a perfect fit. Laura is a closed, same-race domestic adoptee, and she has self-published not one but three illustrated books about her healing journey. This past year, Laura legally changed her first name back to her birth name and was legally reclaimed by her biological mother. Laura has been in reunion with her maternal side since 2008. After facing secondary rejection from her biological father, she has been in reunion with her paternal siblings and cousins since 2020 and is fully estranged from her adoptive parents. Allow me to introduce you to someone who has done so much work on improving the quality of her life. Laura got professional therapy, established boundaries, and reclaimed her original identity in reunion. During this episode, you will hear her read her pieces that have been published in the Flourish Experience, The Power of Adoptee Healing in Community, and a third beautiful piece, published in the Adoptee Voices e-zine. Well, hello, Laura. How are you doing today? I know you suffered an injury. How's it going? (laughs) Hi, Jennifer. Um, I'm okay. It's actually, um, I tore my ACL in my knee, so it's... Okay. Yeah, I'm just awaiting surgery now. Yeah, well, I hope you have a speedy recovery so you can get back to the the lifestyle you're used to because I know you're a runner and um, I'm a walker. I, I like to walk the woods in the morning. So I understand that the minor setback kind of keeps you from your lifestyle. So, Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm so happy to have this conversation with you today for so many reasons because I think that your journey is one that is probably the best or one of the best that I have heard as it relates to taking agency of our life. Uh, we deserve that and self-care and, and setting boundaries and just any and everything that relates to empowering ourselves. So I just... I think you've just done an amazing job, and 
I usually don't know where I want to start in a conversation, but I think I absolutely do know. And it's the, the fact that you wrote three beautiful books that present as children's books, but are for adults. And the one, I read all of them and I love them all, but the one with Goodbye Hypervigilance just really resonated with me. And so do you want to talk a little bit about the writing of your books? And the illustration, by the way, is just wonderful. So a shout out to Laura Foote, right? Yes, Laura's amazing. <laughs> she just nailed it. First time around, we didn't have to go through any revisions. She just got it. So yeah, they're they're just perfect. They are. I love I love these books. So tell us a little bit about how you came to create them. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that you like them and found them helpful. And I've been working with Anne Heffron. Uh, she's been my writing coach in the past and I was working on writing my memoir and was reading her a piece about hypervigilance because as an adoptee I did not realize that I was living in that state of hypervigilance. I thought it was my personality. I thought I was just a super strong type A you know, had to be in control of everything, um, worrying about everything all the time to control it. And in 2020, I started therapy for the second time and was talking to my therapist about a situation where I was concerned, I was worried. And she said, no, 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 that's not how this works. You don't get to control things with your worry. And she named it for me as hypervigilance. And she said, I think this is an, uh, an old coping mechanism from adoption. Mm. And even though I was in a Zoom meeting with her, my whole body just relaxed. And I looked at her like, are you kidding me? I have been living at this heightened level for 40 years yeah. <laughs> because because of adoption. And so she talked me through how we can get into that state as adoptees. And it, it made perfect sense to me and my entire body relaxed. The, the hypervigilance went away. And I thought for sure I would wake up the next day and be back. It wasn't. And I was walking around my house for a couple of weeks, kind of waiting for it to come, come back and jump out at me. I even looked for it in rooms and it's like I'd lost a friend. So I had written about this experience and I was sharing it with Anne and she said, oh my gosh, she's laughing. She, okay, that's not what I was expecting, but I sat with it and then I thought, you know, let's just do the exercise of simplifying the language around this complicated experience. Mm -hmm. And try to write it in a way that would just simplify and, and make it so that there's no room for interpretation. You can't misconstrue what's being said. And make it come from the lens of a child. Right. Like, think about us as children living this experience. Because now, as adults, we can look back and put language to it. Yes. But... It, it seems to it seems like people don't 
want to believe us <laughs> or <laughs> validate our experience. But when you think of it as think about your your child self experiencing that and how, you know, the gravity of that on a child and how that can form your personality or life experience. And so that is how it started with the hypervigilance. And that was the first book in 2021. It came out. Oh, that was the first one. Okay. Uh I think you just did a wonderful job. And the other two, nobody looks like me in adoptee Mm -hmm. experience and Mm -hmm. self attunement and adoptee superpower. Just so well done. And I'm glad you did them. And as a published author, how does it feel to be on the other side of writing and publishing your books? It's a relief. I am self-published. I did self-publish these. I did so because not only did I not want to take the time to go through the rejection process, I also didn't want someone else to invalidate my experience and what I felt like the adoptive world could benefit from. So I feel I feel relieved and I, I feel hopeful that they can be helpful to others. And whether that be adult adoptees or therapists helping adult adoptees or uh, therapists helping younger adoptees, because I think that you can walk children through these books if they have the proper guidance. I think a very, very strong adoptive parent who can put their self aside mm-hmm. to help their child, they could also guide guide their children through this. So I'm hopeful that they they are beneficial to the community. So, Well, I know they are. I'm absolutely certain of that. And you mentioned Anne Heffron, mm-hmm. who I have met along with Pam Cordano and Flourish. And so you were a part of that group, that writing group. And there was a book published, The Flourish Experience. Are you going to read something now or later? From the book? Whenever you would like. Yeah, well, I think this is a good time. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so the Flourish experience was a year, year-long class with Anne and Pam, and it just, it, it really showed the power of healing and community with other adoptees, because we can mirror each other like no one else can, and we can say things to each other without explanation. And it doesn't take a lot of words to understand what the other person's going through. So the piece, there's a couple that are in the same vein about the nothing place. And Pam had this experience for herself and brought this to the group and named it for us. And for me, growing up, not feeling connected to my adoptive parents, not feeling taken care of, and mothered. And also having that unknown, I guess, reasoning behind my relinquishment as a child, I always felt like I was looking across this void to my friends and other families and wishing I could have that experience that what that looked like. I often wished I could be taken home by someone else and given that experience. But now I realize I couldn't have had that with 
even someone who was giving it to their own child because it was, it's a, there's a biological connection to it. So when Pam brought the nothing place to the group, it really resonated with me. So I've written a little bit about that. Secure in the nothing place. The nothing place where I arrived when I lost my mother moments after birth, where I have lived in a place I know well. The place I reject the woman who tries to take her place. No one understands this place. I am all alone, floating in a void, untethered. There is a black hole between me and the rest of the world, home. And the second is relax your home. I have been alone my whole life. From the moment I was taken from my mother at birth, it did not matter that a foster parent took care of me for five weeks. It did not matter that I was placed with adoptive parents. No one could replace my biological mother. Losing her catapulted me out into a void where I have lived and operated from ever since. Walking through life, I knew I was different. I was in the wrong place. I was with strangers. No one understood me. Everyone around me had a mother, knew what it was like to be given unconditional love, to be understood, to be mirrored, to know their place. I was always looking across this void longingly, wishing I could be a part of that world. When I had my own children, I gave them everything I wished I had, which only brought into sharper focus what I was missing, what I could never have. Pam discovered this place on her own journey and named it the nothing place. She brought the revelation to flourish and named it for the rest of us. Once she explained that what the nothing place was, there was a collective relaxation in our group. Everyone understood and we were all there together. It seems no one can understand the nothing place except other adoptees. We recognize the black hole, the deafening silence, the nothing place, my home, my beginning. And while I have lived my whole life here alone, I am now finding community and strength with other adoptees that call this place home too. Forish gave me community and context for my lived experience. It gave me the opportunity to be with other people who understood me. As an adoptee, I had never had this immediate sense of belonging before. Being with other adoptees only pointed out more of what I had been missing my entire life. And once I had that understanding, I did not want to waste my energy with other people who didn't understand or with people I couldn't be my authentic self. I have decided I would rather be alone than with others who do not understand or who only want to view my experience from their own perspective and expectations. In the nothing place, I have built strength, community, and resilience to survive. Adoptees deserve to have agency in their lives, and Flourish gave me the strength and fortitude to reclaim my life. Now that I know the name of the place I live and understand how I got there, I'm embracing it. The nothing place is home because that is where I am. The only person I have ever been able to depend on. Beautiful. So well done. I think of the fact that I no longer want to fit in, that I, I seek belonging now, and the adoption community definitely gives that to me. And so that line... In your last piece, being with other adoptees only pointed out more of what I had been missing my entire life. And once 
I had that understanding. I did not want to waste my energy with other people who didn't understand. <laughs> like that completely mm -hmm. resonates with me. Thank you so much for reading. Reading well, that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. So, yeah, I know you are a same race domestic adoptee. So am I. <laughs> and mm -hmm. wherever you want to start, however much you want to share, would be great about your journey. Okay. I know there's a lot. There's, yeah, a, there's lot. a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate what you said in the beginning about, you know, my, my story of healing and taking agency back. And I'll start at the beginning and, and then get to that, that part. In the beginning, I, I was adopted. My mother, she wanted to keep me, but she did not have any support. She was older. She was 28 when she had me. She had already had my brother, who's three, when I was born. He has Down syndrome. And his dad had walked away when he was born. Uh, my dad walked away when she told him she was pregnant. And her mother said she couldn't help anymore because she was already helping with my brother. And care for Down syndrome was different in the 70s. So she felt like I would get lost in his care and she didn't have the support even though she wanted wanted to keep me. So that is what led to her choosing to place me for adoption. And then I was in foster care for five weeks. Um, don't have any information really about that. Adopted through Catholic Adoption Agency. And just growing up, I always knew I wasn't getting what I needed emotionally, and I was not where I was supposed to be. I was with strangers who didn't understand me. And as I was a teenager, that relationship became more obligatory, and I moved across the country when I was 22. I moved from Indiana to Washington State, and there was just still like a thin connection to my adoptive parents, um, still obligatory, just that sense of, I kind of have to do this. So before I came out of the fog, quote unquote, I didn't really think adoption affected me, but I knew I had issues, <laughs> and, but I didn't link them to adoption. I also had a little bit of, I would say to my husband things like, I think that my adoptive mother got me for her. Like I was always supposed to fulfill her needs instead of her fulfilling mine. And I also said I didn't want to look for a biological family because I didn't need more people to take care of because that was my experience with family. And also that when they passed away, I would be relieved. And so I had all these sort of feelings, but also didn't feel like I was allowed to, to say or have them society expects us to be grateful. And so what catapulted me out of the fog was my daughter. I got pregnant with her and she was my second born. My first born, I had a, a boy. I, I was scared to have her and I didn't know why. And so I went to therapy and that's when I started sort of my journey on healing from adoption trauma. And that term in the fog really fit for me because I didn't know what I didn't know before. Mm -hmm. And when I got lucky that my therapist knew about adoption trauma, she gave me a book and 
in that book, the woman said there was an adoptee who said, I just remember feeling, where's my mom? And that is what washed over me. Just grief. Those three words, where's my mom caused this wave of grief to wash over me. And I went internal into myself and saw my newborn baby self just stiff and crying and scared and grieving. And I realized I had been carrying that grief my whole life. Mm. And I was able to let that baby cry, let myself cry and let that grief move through me. And then fold that little baby newborn self into my, into me and she was safe and I could take care of her then. So that was my out of the fog moment, my awakening moment. And it put me on the journey to be ready and excited to have my daughter and also to start searching for my mom and my biological family. Mm. And so that's, it, it's, as we were chatting before, it, it was a revelation to me and it was an epiphany and it was, oh, now I see what the problem is and now I know how to fix it. Now, now I can fix it because I think, you know, knowing is half the battle. Right. Being and aware. So once, yeah. Mm-hmm, awareness. And so ha- knowing that I was grieving for 29 years, but didn't, you know, realizing that that's what that was. I was then able to process and, and move through it and, and heal. You know, we talked about being stuck and, and it's like, I, I couldn't not do it once I saw it, it was hard. It wasn't easy, right. but I, I, ha- I, I knew I couldn't stay where I was or, you know, keep living with that grief. So moving through it was the only option. Yeah. Well, like I, I said to you earlier, uh, some people become aware, but then they don't necessarily know what to do next. Mm-hmm. With, with the awareness. So mm-hmm. I just think you, yeah, you just decided, okay, this is the next step. And mm-hmm. and then the next step and, and mm-hmm. you just moved along. <laughs> yeah. And, and like you say, it's not easy, uh, but, mm-hmm. but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, you can see how it will be better on the other side. Mm-hmm. And, and hope, hope that it will, and know it can't be worse than where you already are. So you have to, you know, at least try. So, I mean, that was my first experience with therapy. And I thought this is so profound, like, isn't everything. I thought that was going to happen to me. Like every time I went to the therapist's office, (laughs) that I was going to have this huge transformational experience and moment. And I was like, Oh, this, not happening again like <laughs> what, why not and but you know there were still things right that I I was still working through but it wasn't as profound as that then I had my you know my babies and I had you know reunion with my mom right away and my brother and her whole side of the family 
And that was, that's been really wonderful. I thought that was all the work I had to do. I thought I was done. And I also felt alone because I was that now aware and awake to the fact that adoption is rooted in loss and there is trauma involved. I had never heard anyone else say that in the world. And I felt like I was the only person who felt that way. So I did not feel like I could you know, shout it from the rooftops because lest I be struck by lightning, you know, that's what, that's how I felt. So mm-hmm. for 12 years, I sort of still went through this. I, I, I don't know if I was stuck or I just, that's where I felt like I was. And then in 2020, I found the adoption community and that is what catapulted me to the next phase of my journey and hearing other adoptees give words to what I was experiencing um, and feeling and had my whole life gave me the strength to know I wasn't alone and then take the next steps. And that was to start therapy again, dive into the adoptee community and get involved in the other meet other adoptees and be in community with them and start setting boundaries with my adoptive parents that I had needed to set for a very long time, but did not feel like I had the, I guess, permission. So again, it was that once I saw what was possible, I then couldn't not try it Mm -hmm. for myself. Yeah. So that's when I started like the process. I'm now fully estranged from my adoptive parents. And that estrangement gave me the space to continue healing and and really grow into my authentic self as much as possible. Since that estrangement, I changed my name legally to Laura. I dropped my adoptive first and middle name. And Laura is my birth name from my biological mom. And I found my paternal side and I'm in reunion with my brother and sister and cousins from my dad. Um, I do have secondary rejection from him. And this September, my past September, my mom legally adopted me back. So now I'm also legally her daughter again. Mm, So that is really, (laughs) that's just so special. And I am sorry that you received or experienced secondary rejection by your biological father. Yeah, that's hard. At the same time, well, that's okay. I have a dog, too. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I have a dog, too, and so that's that's just real life. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that's some agency to, to, like, reclaim your original identity with the name change. And I, I, I always appreciate hearing that in an adoptee story and journey. Yeah. So I know that Flourish was really a great experience for you and led to the writing, which I think writing can be such a useful tool in healing. It's so cathartic. Yeah. I mean, it's so cathartic to me. Yeah. Yes. And and you would go on to be a part of Adoptive Voices, I believe, Cohort 6, uh, Hone Your Craft. 
created by Sarah Easterly. And and you wrote a piece there that I had an opportunity to read. The Perfect Eyes, I believe is the title, that's published in the e-zine. Yes. Yes. And I think you're going to read that for us, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah, so whenever you're ready. Okay. The Perfect Eyes. As a little girl, I searched for a specific pair of eyes. My adoptive mother's eyes were not right. They were green and did not see me. No, the eyes I needed were a special shape and shade of blue. Longingly, I scanned the faces of strangers walking down the street, hoping one of them would recognize me as their own. But those eyes never found me. This was a lost child's dream, to be saved by my mother's eyes, eyes that no longer felt they had a right to look for me. I made these eyes in my children. They were the perfect shade of blue, so loving and innocent. My children's eyes were home. They healed part of me, but these eyes needed me to reflect them, make them whole, so they would not suffer the same feelings of being lost. It was easy to know what they needed because it was what I had so desperately wished for. When I was 29, I saw my mother's eyes. They recognized me, but there was only a glint of my spirit in them. Too much time had passed between us. If my mother's eyes could not save me, I thought no one's could. Twelve years passed before the universe whispered there were other eyes that needed me as much as I needed them. When I found your eyes, my soul relaxed. They were the ones I had been looking for, needing. Your eyes were the same shade of blue, and your smiles were mere images of mine. You reflected my essence, and I loved you already. After searching and waiting my whole life for a second time, I was home. Everything else melted away. Innocence in our stories, looking for affirmation from people who could not provide it. We were the final missing pieces to heal each other's hearts and souls. You claimed me with your open arms, loving hearts, and beautiful reflections. Now that I found you, I am never taking my eyes off you. That is beautiful. So well done. Thank you for reading it. Thank you. That was um, about finding my my brother and sister, paternal brother and sister. Yes. The perfect eyes. I love mm-hmm. that. When did you realize your talent as a writer? <laughs> I don't know that I have a talent as a writer. <laughs> you don't know if you have yet. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that that's true. I don't know. I just, I've always written as a way of getting my feelings out and that cathartic process. Yeah, I guess it's not an internal thing. It's other people tell me they like it. So (laughs) I guess it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. When writers, I think, uh, are able to put words together that resonate with other people who maybe weren't able to to put words to their feelings and thoughts, that's the talent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the talent. And you do that so well. Oh, thank you. I'm glad it's helpful. Mm -hmm. And so... I want to know what has been the most rewarding thing about being connected to the adoption community. Well, there's not just one thing. 
it's feeling at home. It's feeling validated. It's helping to validate others in their experience and just making sure no one feels like they're alone in this process and journey. Yeah, I agree. And has there been anything that has been challenging for you? Uh, with the adoptee community? Yes, or? Being, uh-huh. being better connected. I, I would say mm-hmm. you're very well connected with the writing groups. And I imagine you've done some support groups or, you know, been online with, mm-hmm. with the community mm-hmm. in some kind of capacity. I mean, it's not... I mean, the challenging, I guess the challenging would be that, I guess here, just knowing other people have the same pain Mm -hmm. that you've had and similar parallel experiences and just wishing that none of us had had that experience, I guess is probably the most challenging. Yeah. What I just simply love about your journey Um, Well, there's just so many things, but you remind me of how important it is to set boundaries and to have agency of our lives when we navigate this whole, like, experience of being placed with strangers. Because that resonates with me that as a two-year-old, I was permanently placed, well, by the age of three, it was official, but, you know, out of foster care and, and... place with strangers and mm-hmm. and that at some point in, in my adult life I'm sure I'm trying to figure out things as most adoptees are about my identity and and where do I belong you know I had been fitting in for many years and, and I'm not even saying fitting is a bad thing it's just not a choice that I want to make now and I have a great relationship with my family my adoptive family and also in reunion, you know, it's it's good. At the same time, as an adoptee, I want to have agency over my life. I want to set boundaries. Uh, I, I think we all deserve to do that. So your journey really is one that I hope people listening can come away with. You're important enough. You're enough to take agency, set boundaries, do what you need to do, reclaim if it's a name, if it's a whatever about your beginnings, do that. Yeah, do that. You deserve it. So I just thank you for sharing the steps you have taken. I think it's, it's hard work, but it's worth it. So in honoring your time, I guess we can close with my usual last question. And that is, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? If I can add just a bit to the process of healing, that it's not only affected the part of my life that was adoption and adoption related, but once I found my power in my adoption story and my adoptee journey, I was able to also realize I can apply that power to other areas of my life because you are allowed to have agency. You are allowed to reclaim. You are allowed. And then you can take that healing 
and apply it to other areas of your life. You are allowed to set boundaries with other people outside of your families. Mm-hmm. Um, and the healing process made me a better person and it made me a better parent to my kids. And so it's it's not just about me and how I've grown in myself. It's how that process has also benefited other areas of my life and other people in it, like my husband and my kids. And also, you know, realizing I'm a loud agency everywhere. That was so well said. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it it just makes you a better person overall in all yeah, your absolutely. relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It has been wonderful. Just just so so good. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I feel the same. It was wonderful to talk with you and share and hopefully help someone else on their journey. And I appreciate everything you are doing for our community. So thank you so much. And I'll be sure to include all the books, your three self-published books, and also the Flourish Experience in the show notes and your website, myadoptietruth.com. I encourage listeners to go to that site and check out Laura K. Joy. Thank you so much. Laura believes that healing the wounds of adoption is difficult, but necessary to live our most authentic life. The goal of her website and blog, My Adoptee Truth, is to share her journey through adoption trauma and create a safe space for other adoptees to share their truths as well. I can deeply appreciate that once Laura identified and was aware of her grief, she took the journey to do something about it. When we lean into seeking help and desire healing, all of our relationships stand to benefit from that choice. Many things shared by Laura resonated with me, and it is my belief that she is an inspiration to other adoptees through her words. The knowledge of being worthy To take agency in our life starts the process of being a healthier human being. We do it first for ourselves, and then those around us get to see that the possibility exists for them too. Thank you, Laura, for having this conversation with me. It fills my heart with joy to hear of an adoptee getting better connected to our community. You keep taking steps towards healing, flourishing, and then going to the next level of giving back in many ways. For me, you're among the best examples of what doing the work looks like in various areas. I want to read a paragraph from Laura's piece entitled Flourishing, published in the Flourish Experience. This book project is meant to encourage others to find their Flourish family. We want other adoptees to heal and find community the way we have. It is hard to put language to our experience. I walked this earth for 41 years before I found my fellow flourishers, and I honestly don't know how I survived. In the people in Flourish, I have found unconditional love, attunement, the feeling of being cared for, 
mirrors, understanding without explanation, and a place I belong. I walk differently in the world now because I carry my fellow flourishers with me. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so that others can find it too. During the course of your day, we hope that you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it. The word of mouth is the best way to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, we hope that you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adoptee land. Your contribution allows a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you for being here.